Hey, hey, welcome back everyone to another broadcast of In the Trenches. I'm your host, Tom Workus, and today I sit down with Adam Anderson, who's the Senior Advisor at Element Security Group. Element Security Group, as you could probably guess from the name, is a company dedicated to help online businesses survive cyber attacks, protect themselves from hackers, and much more. I brought Adam on the call today to talk about what are things we can do as small business owners, online entrepreneurs, creators who are leveraging, say, online portals and platforms, what we can do to protect our online businesses, our online assets, our websites, and everything else, our products. How do we protect against intellectual theft or, or bad actors in the online space? And there are plenty. And I know as a small business owner myself, a writer, author, publisher, that the thing I prefer to focus on is the marketing, the sales, the creation, the product-facing stuff, the, the customer and client-facing uh, work that we do. Those are probably all the most interesting types of topics we can touch on, but I think security itself and protecting your business is one of the most important, crucial elements of what you do, especially if you're selling your stuff online, if you're selling digital products or anything like that. It doesn't matter what you're selling. If you're leveraging a website, if you're using digital marketing, you need to be privy to this stuff. My big takeaway from today's conversation is slightly different than what it often is, where I can usually extract like one idea and say, this is definitely the thing to zoom in on. When it comes to today's conversation, it's more like security is a, a system and a process and, and really a practice, like ensuring that your business is properly set up so it cannot be taken advantage of either accidentally or through bad actors. It's a consistent kind of practice. It's something you need to implement in your business, whether you like it or not. And it doesn't have to get that complex. We talk about some ways that you can you can implement this stuff yourself, where it might make sense to invest in certain types of uh, security-related kind of measures, uh, whether those are plugins or products or, or things like that, and more. So I'll leave it at that. And without further ado, let's get to today's conversation. So Adam, I want to kick things off by hearing a little bit of your backstory. What got you into the work you're doing today? It's not a uh, typical career trajectory or path um, as, as far as I know. So tell us a little bit about your background. Yeah, so I lost a bet and uh, got into cybersecurity. So that was uh, not the best thing that's ever happened to me. Turns out you should not go up to your manager and say, I'm bored let's talk about what's next for me. And then he challenges you to do something. And then you're the sucker who's stuck with cybersecurity. That happened about 20 years ago. Uh, and I got it all rocking and rolling back in this uh, thing called the Y2K bug back in 1999. And uh, we saved the world from the banking system failing. And so that moment of triumph for me gave me the affirmation necessary to move forward with the, uh, the rest of this cyber career. And I tell people I'm a recovering uh, IBMer, a recovering corporate drone. And I found a really fulfilling niche with small business and with cybersecurity um, and entrepreneurship all around that. So that happened back in 2005, and we've been rocking and rolling ever since. And hopefully you made a small fortune off of Y2K. I would assume anybody in that space would have. You know, that's the thing about being the employee. And uh, uh, you, don't, you, you do the work, but you don't ride the ride. So There you go. Good. Another, another important lesson that we come back to a lot on this podcast. There you go. Yeah. So I actually just sold uh, my cybersecurity company this year. I've had 15 companies and 14 nonprofits. Uh, at a running total of 2 million plus being losses. So not like nonprofits, but we didn't make profit. They were giant craters. And four of those were cybersecurity companies. So uh, my wife lovingly said, Hey, how about this? What if instead of starting businesses, you paid for our house? <laughs> or 
I don't know, invested something. So we've kind of switched gears uh, in my 40s to uh, away from building companies to building wealth and having the company be the engine that does that. So tell me a little bit about then kind of what, what you do now um, with that focus. You said you just sold your, your company. What, what, are you, what are you doing right now then? So the thing I'm real interested in is cybersecurity, not as a technology problem, but as a behavioral science problem. So after 20 years of doing this stuff, what I've learned is you will lose. They will get to you. And it's a matter of limiting liability rather than building a giant cyber fortress. So the thing that I'm passionate about right now is stop spending and wasting money on cybersecurity tools that give you the illusion of security and start putting things in place that after the bad thing happens, you can recover quickly. And so my new company is uh, Hook Security. And what we do is uh, I help limit the liability of a attack through email. So 90% of all attacks come through email. We run our online businesses through email. We, it's just the most used communication mechanism. So that's what the hackers go after. So when you work with my company, I get my hacker um, itch scratched because I send fake cyber attacks at your employees. And if they click on one, I send them to a 60-second edutainment video because no one can learn at that stage. They're just like, oh, facepalm. I did it. I clicked on the thing where I shouldn't. That obviously was not a Dropbox link. I should not have done that. So at the point of incident, we raise their awareness. And I'll send like 20 attacks per year. And you get a report of the employees that are struggling with it. And then you can send them to a step-up online training where the Employees who need the training the most get the right amount of training at the right time. So I love diving into that. Yeah. So I will come back to the kind of who you serve a little bit, maybe a little bit later. I'm actually kind of curious to start at a, a place kind of more basic. Yeah. Is it really you just click a link in an email and you're compromised? Is it is it that easy for, for hackers to do? And Yeah, it can be. So here's the... I'll give you uh, some real awesome wisdom here. The number one way you can keep yourself safe is to not log into your computer as an administrator, right? So out of the box, we log into our Apple devices, out of on, onto our Microsoft devices, whatever it is, and you have the rights to do anything. You can install any screensaver you want. You can do anything you want, right? And what happens is since you have all this power, you click on that link and it pops up and says, do you want to install jibber-jabber garbage that no one can understand, right? Oh, it's computer talk. Well, yeah, I'm trained to click yes. I'll just click yes because I want to move on my way. That's you giving the virus the ability to attack you. So what I do is I create a new user on my computer that doesn't have those rights. And I have to actually log into the administrator account whenever I want to do something like install a product. So yeah, you can click on that thing. And if you have too much power, like I, I say, I don't give my toddler... Uh, I don't have toddlers anymore. I don't give my moody 10-year-old daughter knives and say, go juggle. No, I don't do that. She's, uh, she's like a baby giraffe. Her arms are like everywhere. Um, it's an awkward age. It, you, you restrict her ability to hurt herself and you restrict your ability to hurt yourself. So when you click on something, which by the way, they look so real these days. It really does look real. You click on something, you prevent yourself from hurting yourself. Yeah. So, okay. So it's, it's a little bit more than just one click, but it, you usually have to download something and now that can yeah. be hidden or masked. Okay. Just making yeah. sure like how, how suspicious I have to be of everything. I mean, I guess growing up in, in this, uh, this era, it's never been an issue for me. Yeah, I know it's, I think that the trends are, it's typically, uh, what baby boomers now, uh, who maybe struggle with this and are the ones that are usually caught, uh, 
Yeah. Uh, actually, it's elder millennials mm-hmm. and above. So if you're about 36 or above, um, you haven't been uh, conditioned uh, enough. We When we attack people, it's very interesting. It's usually middle management who clicks on 100% of our attacks. Interesting. Okay. So, okay. So, so, so bottom line is you got to be really careful about what you're clicking on. I'm curious about things like, um, and I don't know if this is, this is ground that you cover, but how about things for like, you know, websites, stuff like that? How do we protect against, you know, infiltration there? Or is that something that you guys don't really cover? You, you focus more on the individual kind of like, um, you know, being compromised from, from a hacker. Yeah, so there's there's two sides of the same coin, right? So we we make a lot of money um, off the internet. We have uh, digital portals, we have point of sale devices, we've got online shopping carts, we've got all this stuff. That's where we do our commerce. So obviously, that's where they're attacking. The interesting part of this is is this is a mature industry now. So if you're using Amazon Web Services and you're hosting something there, uh, pay the extra amount, turn on all their security settings, you're fine. Whatever you're using for hosting, you can turn on the security settings. So by enabling all the security settings, you are now the single point of failure. If they can compromise your username and password, then they bypass that cyber fortress. So really all you need to do, because they are attacking you, they're going after that stuff. I actually have a lawyer buddy, his point of sale uh, got compromised. I got his username and password for his online um, scheduling tool. And they didn't get access to the credit cards, but they were able to change the settings and uh, where the money went and charge all of his clients $10,000. And it's sent to throwaway debit cards. So they, they will attack that way. The way he mitigated that is something called two-factor authentication. Uh, it's when you have uh, a phone or a token or something that when you log into it, it also sends a, a code or a pop-up. Hey, is that really you? So. Attacking the website through brute force, like in the movies, doesn't happen. Not anymore. All you have to do is the minimum and you're safe. What you really need to worry about is them faking to be the uh, Amazon web server reset your password link, which you didn't initiate. And now you just gave the hackers your username and password. Does that make sense? Yeah. And so it sounds like, I guess if I were to just kind of think of like kind of pulling out some uh, specific points of like learning lessons and and maybe things to easily remember and then hopefully not make the mistake or implement. Uh, it's like with this one, it's well, I think one of those is it, I guess on any kind of bank account, it would be like a you know due to authentic. What is it? I'm, I'm blanking out. You just said it. Two, two, two factor. Yeah, authentication. Yeah. Right. Yeah. I know. I knew what that is. I just couldn't say it. Yeah. So so something like that. That that and that makes sense to me. You know, I guess I, I guess I wonder, like, is this something that everybody needs to be aware of? Like, at what level does it become like a genuine, like, and I know, I know the answer is like, yes, it's always a concern. But like, sure. when does it become like, yes, we need to probably invest in this concern? Um, I say follow the money, right? There's, there's always a trap that you get scared and you have fear and then you make reactions. So right now I can say, booga, 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 everybody get it, right? That's pointless because if everyone's supposed to be scared, then no one really should be scared. That's why I usually don't pay attention to the news. If it's in the news, then it's newsworthy and rare. If you are somebody or if there's a part of your day where you interact with money, intellectual property, or sensitive data, whatever tool you're using, make sure that that tool has two-factor authentication. That's usually my role. Mm. If it drives your business or drives your bank account, or it touches a customer or a customer's data, take some extra steps to make sure whatever kind of conversation or what kind of uh, behavior you're doing has some security controls around it. 
Mm, that's good advice. That would be probably a lot of tools for the average person. Are, are, you know, is this something where it's like there are cases of of this kind of thing? Like you mentioned, your friend, the the lawyer friend. Is it more typical that specific types of people are targeted? Yeah. So um, the the dark web is actually a fascinating economy, and it is just it's business people out there with questionable morals. And being business people, they want to do. They understand cost of customer acquisition. They understand all the things that we know about marketing and, and all sales. And so they they go after the uh, the, the four primary holders of information. They go after financial, bankers, that kind of stuff. That's number one. That's why bankers are so good at it as they've been attacked so long. Second is they are now really, really hunting CPAs. Tax fraud is a real thing. If they can get your social security number and enough data, they can file an online tax return for you. And they're really generous. You always get a return when they're filing, right? So they're hitting CPAs. And if they can do one-stop shopping with CPAs, lawyers, insurance people, financial advisors, anybody who handles that kind of stuff also has access to high net worth individuals and business owners, executives. And so they realize if I can compromise one CPA, I can get a hundred identities and access to a hundred bank accounts. So yeah, if you are you have a client base that you are giving some kind of professional service or trusted advice, and you're considered a trusted advisor, you are being targeted by hackers. So where does this apply for the types of businesses that hire you? Like, are they typically at a certain employee count? When, when does it become like more critical? Uh, like, is there, is there any kind of like threshold of like a certain number of employees where it's like, you're kind of in that critical space where if you're not doing something like this, it, it gets very dangerous. Yeah, it, it's uh, it's twofold. It's the customers you deal with. So if you're dealing with the military, if you're dealing with highly regulated industries such as utilities, um, you know, the list goes on and on. There's compliance and regulation rules that if you do not have something like um, continuing education for, you know, cyber then and some way to reinforce that education and report on it, you're setting yourself up for either a lawsuit or losing a customer. And maybe sometimes both if you're not careful. Um, that being said, everybody really does need this kind of thing. But for my company, I'm not looking for the solopreneur. I'm not going to prospect a company that's got less than uh, 20 or, or 30 um, employees because our price point is so low that it just... Unless I get volume, it doesn't work. And I'm also not going to be hunting the Fortune 500, although that's when I'm used to selling. Actually, we don't. it's not selling when you're doing the Fortune 500. It's drinking with people for two years and hoping they buy something. So uh, anyway, that's my personal experience. Your mileage may vary. So we're really looking, in my opinion, you know, when you get to that point where you're beginning to replace manual processes, where we're doing everything by hand, to now we're automating and systemizing our companies and technology is doing more, that's when you really need to start looking at cybersecurity is when the AI and the computer is taking responsibility for more tasks, then you need to be careful that that stuff's not hijacked. So not really employee account, mostly automation, I would say. Oh, interesting. That's, I didn't, didn't really think about the automation piece. That makes sense. But I guess people who are small, I mean, there's more and more automation at, at lower and lower levels now. Oh, right? yeah. yeah. Okay, interesting. So with, with what you're doing on, on the business side of things, then I'm kind of curious with something like this. You know, when, when you're approaching companies and you're having this conversation, is it typical that they already have, they're already working with a company like yours? Or what's, what's the, what do you find is like the lay of the land? Um, when it, 50-50. Honestly, this, this kind of thing, if you're Fortune 1000, you've been beat up enough that you probably have something like this. 
they it's been around this kind of product for five to six years and it's really saturated in that higher end market. Mm-hmm. Um, what I'm finding is that most of the you know 50 million and below, they don't have it. So for me, I'm I'm like in a, a blue ocean for this. Is that everybody goes? Oh yeah, we get attacked. I see that email stuff all the time. I'm like, oh great. Do you have confidence that none of your employees are going to click on it? And they're like, well, I mean, no. Are you doing anything in training? No. But the thing about cybersecurity is, and cybercrime in general, is we can understand that there's a risk. And nine times out of 10, we will not do anything about it. We won't spend money. We won't take action. And I completely get it. If I had a budget, which I do... Actually, that's an interesting case study. I should look at my own budget and see how much I spend on marketing and sales versus my own security. We're not going to share those numbers because I'm an adult and I'm positive I'm doing everything right. Anyway, so... I would rather spend money on sales and marketing because I care about customer acquisition, right? And I understand dollar in, dollar out, I have a chance at growing my company. But business owners don't spend money on cybersecurity because number one, they don't understand it. Number two, they have no confidence that they understand the threat, right? So here's a bunch of whiz-bang technology you don't understand. Here's a boogeyman threat that might happen. And they're worried about wasting time and money that should be applied to growing their business. How long do I have to take to do this audit? How long? Do I, right? So of course, business owners do not act because it is way too risky compared to other activities that you can spend with your 24 hours in a day. Yeah, it makes sense. Uh, and I'm kind of curious, you, you mentioned something earlier there um, that made me think about it. So when it comes to this cybersecurity stuff and, and these, these companies, oh, what do you see as the most common problems? Or you said that, that was it. You said that there's... Oftentimes, like we'll see these issues, or we'll notice them, or they'll exist, and we won't do anything about them. What have you find out like the common things that are, uh, we'll say, left unsecured when it comes to companies or businesses or individuals? Yeah, the top three mm-hmm. backups, boring stuff. Do you have automated backups? Is an adult somewhere getting money from you to manage your important stuff? So when stuff goes sideways, they will put it back for you, right? Sometimes for me, like I use a G Suite for everything. So that's appropriate for the kind of company I'm running right now. If I had custom databases and things like that, that would not be appropriate. So based off of your company, you should be spending the right level of money for the right kind of backups. Because something's going to go wrong, at least be able to recover from it. Like ransomware, the number one defense against ransomware is ignoring the uh, results of the ransomware and just restoring from backup. The second thing is having a rock-solid cybersecurity insurance policy. I don't sell that stuff. Go to any broker, wherever you're already buying your insurance from, they'll love to hear from you. Um, I'll give you an example on the price point. I don't know where it is right now. I had a $3 million revenue professional services company where I touched all the username and passwords for Fortune 500 companies. I paid, I think it was $2,500 for my cybersecurity insurance policy. So it's just dirt cheap now. And, and the last one is automatic, uh, automatic patching of your machines. So... Google, Microsoft, Apple, we're always in the news for getting hacked, all this stuff, right? But they're still so much better at cybersecurity than we are. So doing those cybersecurity patches that they throw out is an absolute must because here's the punchline. This is why this is important. They have the thing called Patch Tuesdays. And every Tuesday, Microsoft, Apple, all these guys push out security updates. But they have to publish what those security updates are so that you know what you're installing. And what they're doing is telling the hackers exactly where the holes are. So the hackers love Tuesday because they have a menu of all the holes. And then they quickly write code. And the very next day or sometimes that night, new viruses are attacking the world. 
taking advantage of those. Um, so if you have good automated backups, you have a cybersecurity insurance policy, and you are patching your machines automatically, doing those automatic updates, you have just protected yourself from 99% of the stuff. And here's the thing, 99% of us aren't doing it. Yeah, this, here's another question I have is like, obviously, you know, most people I'd say, yeah, most all, well, I, would, I think most or all would have some sort of like antivirus or something like that in their, their personal computers or business computers. Mm -hmm. Like what, what are like the, the basics I need to meet there? Like I know there's like, you know, malware stuff, mm -hmm. you know, you, I have, I have a vast, so they're constantly trying to sell me on new things <laughs> all the time. Yeah. And I don't know, you know, I'm like, what do I need or not need? So what do you feel like are the, the kind of the basics there as well? Yeah. So I use advanced as well. Um, that's, this is not a sales pitch for those guys. They, they are good, but everybody is pretty much good. And there are moments when those, uh, the ads pop up in there and they're like, Hey, you, we just detected blah, 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 fear, fear, fear. Right. If you do the three things I just said, adding advanced and all these other security things, that's icing on the cake. If you are heavy browser user, which most of us are at this point, then installing extra security into your browser from a trusted source like Avast is a good idea. If you work out of Starbucks a lot or coffee shops, then activating the secure VPN, which is virtual private network, lets you get on public networks without people spying on your stuff. So getting a brand that you recognize and even will do. You shouldn't spend a whole, whole lot of money. Like if someone's asking for thousands of dollars for this thing, absolutely don't do it. These are commodity software products at this point. I even think some of them are free. But yeah, look at your human behaviors. I work out of Starbucks or coffee shops or bars and I connect to web tools to run most of my business through a browser and I store everything in the cloud. Well, that's the stuff that you should be installing security products for. And our single point of attack being our laptop or our phone uh, means you got to have some bare bones security uh, installed on there. And frequently, uh, this is an interesting pseudoscience statistic, stolen physical laptops are far more common than being hacked on the network that you attach to. You're more likely to f lose your data by not like setting up your screen to lock and uh, good you know, username, password stuff on your laptop and walking away to use the bathroom and coming back and it's gone or just forgetting it someplace than you are from getting hit from a cyber attack while sitting at Starbucks. Mm, I'm sure that's really common with phones too and just how much we do on our phones. Oh yeah, yeah. Interesting. Okay, so so I'm gonna I'm gonna quickly summarize here because I'm I'm thinking to myself I'm trying to do the mental checkbox here. Uh, Two-factor two authentication. Anytime mm -hmm. you're dealing with money or administrate or like operational stuff for your business, yep. that would be important. The second thing is back back stuff up. So a lot of companies, a lot of I, a lot of people I, I speak to, and I I do uh, a lot of I use a lot of tools like this, like software as a service, SaaS companies yep. that at least would claim that they have backups. In what cases would you suggest like you have like an, a backup of a backup if if a company does do backups for you? What, what are your thoughts on something like that? I usually trust it. it. It does. It all depends, right? If there is a piece of data that if you lost, your complete company would be screwed, then back that up. But usually it's not the data that we're so concerned about in those SaaS products. It's the product itself. So if that product goes down, you can't do anything with that data anyway. I don't typically do the extra effort with my business to have a whole lot of redundancy the, so I need three things from a customer to help them. I need first name, last name, email addresses. 
when I collect that information, I store it in my tool, but I also have a secure database. I also store all that in because I want to be able to quickly recover. So if you can classify that kind of mission-critical information, mission-critical data, take the extra steps to do it. But also reflect like, I'm not going to be backing up my QuickBooks, or maybe I should, but I use QuickBooks online. And if that's gone, I mean, I, I'm screwed, right? There's, that is the only thing I'm using for my bookkeeping. So... Mm. But you trust that there that company isn't going to go out of business, right? That's kind of the true that they're not going to get wiped out, right? That's kind of the bet, the gamble we're making when we pay for those kind of software services, right? Yeah, if you if you're dealing with indie company XYZ bookkeeper, back your stuff up, right? Mm. If you're dealing with high brand name stuff, they're 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 really rich targets. Like what was Marriott? I think just lost you know millions and millions and millions of. Uh, Marriott reward card members after a seven-year hack that just got discovered. And so by the way, if you're Marriott rewards, watch out for uh, phishing attacks. But yeah, they, they have better insurance. They've got better stuff. And you will get your data back because they typically are backing the stuff up. The big thing there is identity theft. The big thing there is somebody getting access to your information. But again, they're still better at cybersecurity than you are. And it's better to have them handle it and be able to go to your customers and say, Whoo, uh, I had my server on Amazon Web Service and Amazon got hacked. And so your data got lost versus, well, I had a server in my garage and I got hacked and now all that stuff's gone. You can at least blame it on uh, uh, Amazon. So again, cybersecurity isn't about keeping yourself safe. It's about lowering liability. And liability isn't just cyber risk, it's business risk. And I care about surviving and thriving after a cyber attack not being 100% safe. Yep, that makes sense. And another point that I thought was useful just kind of iterate here was, you know, the insurance piece. Because it sounds like then that would... Because you mentioned that, I'm thinking to myself, I wonder if I actually have that or not. But, um, you know, I guess that wouldn't be necessarily something that's baked into a typical, you know, business insurance policy. Yeah, usually what we find is somebody says, hey, I've got my E&O, right? I've got my errors and admission, I've got all this stuff, and then does not cover cyber. And here's the thing, when you do go buy one, Here's, here's what you ask the insurance person. You say, I would like a cybersecurity insurance policy that comes with a disaster response team. If I get a breach, I just get hit with some ransomware and there's a very nice message on my machine saying, hey, I need Bitcoin, blah, blah, blah. You giving me a million dollars and saying good luck doesn't help me. You giving me a cybersecurity specializing uh, lawyer, PR firm, uh, forensic investigator, white hat hacker, and you have a team show up to help me get back to business, and you're giving me enough money to cover damages and the services for that team, now that's valuable to me. And that's what I would... You can buy that for the, that very cheap amount of money. Because uh, again, my, that's the, the policy I got, I think was up to a million dollars, a disaster recovery team, and it cost me 2500 bucks a year. To me, that was a no-brainer. The risk was just far too large not to do something with cybersecurity insurance. Yeah, and in that case, especially if it's, I suppose, the where that's particularly useful or, or will get go as far as to say like a requirement would be if, especially if you're handling high net worth individual accounts or something like that, right? Banking, et cetera. You named yeah. earlier. Yeah, the, to me though, it's more disruption of business. So the purpose of a ransomware attack is to stop you from being able to do the behaviors that make you money. So I got a buddy up in Ohio. He has a manufacturing. Uh, factory and ransomware got on the controller for the line and they were demanding Bitcoin. And first, this was long enough ago that he was like, what's a Bitcoin? And how do I get one? I think it was like 50 cents back in the day. It was, uh, it was wonderful. You cannot buy a Bitcoin these days, just too expensive. Oh, by the way, 
I'll get back to that point. The hackers attack through code. And so they, they stopped getting paid because they didn't change the tax. And when Bitcoin was like 20,000 of Bitcoin and they were asking for 1500 Bitcoin, these guys really need to update their code. Anyway, back to the, the, uh, the other topic. Um, so when the ransomware hit him, the line was down for three days. The ransom is coming to say how much damage is happening to your brand, to your business, to your revenue by not being able to produce your product. So they're either going to impersonate and try to get you to give them money, or they're going to disrupt and try to get you to give them money, or they're going to steal identities and get money from your customers or your vendors. And that's the, that's the way they come at you. Hmm. Okay. So a lot of stuff that probably makes a lot of people a little bit nervous. So I'm, I'm going to wrap it up here and just say there's probably a, a lot of rabbit holes we could go down in each, each one of these things. Where can people reach out to find you, Adam, connect with you? Maybe you have some resources that they can check out to kind of evaluate where they're at, or even like, you know, connect with you about what, what are these different resources you might recommend, but uh, the floor is yours. Yeah, great. So um, you, I have a research company that produces a whole bunch of really good stuff. That's elementsecurity.com slash trenches. Uh, if you're interested in the phishing um, training that I was talking about, you can go to hook-security.com slash trenches. Or you can jump onto this thing called YouTube and follow me on my YouTube channel, Adam Anderson, CEO. And fun fact about YouTube, I launched a brewing company that was going to teach you how to homebrew. It was beautiful. And I was going to charge a bunch for this DVD and this thing called YouTube was there and totally destroyed my business model because they like give stuff away for free. And that's what I do on my channel. I give all the information away from free. One minute business videos in the morning. Nothing about I love it. Yeah, nothing about brewing beer though. I'm done with it. Awesome. Oh, we can't find that anymore? We shouldn't. It was horrible. I had the flu. <laughs> it's no good. Very low production value. <laughs> awesome. Well, hey, Adam, I really appreciate it. Thank you so much for joining us on In the Trenches. I really encourage everyone to go check out your work and, and see what resources are available and, and protect themselves and their businesses. So thank you for being on In the Trenches. Yeah, Tom. Thank you. Are you trying to grow your online business, but struggling to get new customers consistently and predictably? Are you tired of working nonstop only to see your income plateau? Are you ready to step off the hustle hamster wheel, as I call it, and step onto a path of predictable profit that you can scale as much or as little as you want? Don't worry, you're not alone. I've been there. When I first got started, I didn't have a clue what I was doing. So I started reading blogs and listening to podcasts by people I respected and wanted to learn from. I slowly but surely put their recommendations into practice. But because I wanted to do it all myself, maybe you you're something like that, right? And you love to do, do it by yourself, learn through trial and error. Well, bottom line is it took forever. Results were unpredictable when I was first getting started. I wasn't sure where to spend my time, money, and energy. And shiny penny syndrome got the best of me on more than one occasion. For many entrepreneurs, the amount I sacrificed, working literally nonstop in some cases in my spare time, and 12 and 14-hour days routinely after going full-time, combined with the endless fog of war, aka that uncertainty, that I had to deal with at all times because I was going it alone. I think that would have been enough for most entrepreneurs to throw in the towel. But I was persistent, focused, and I stayed humble. Day after day, I worked to grow the traffic to my website, increase my list of subscribers, and generate a healthy living for my eBooks, eCourses, and other digital products. At least that was the goal. But maybe more important than the work was that I paid attention to what I was doing, including what worked and what didn't. Eventually, I discovered a predictable pattern of growth. And so what I did was I just doubled down on those things and I scrapped or sidelined the other things that weren't working so well. Finally, two years after resigning my commission as a captain in the army and going full-time on my online business front with my blog, with my podcast, et cetera, I replaced my income with digital product income. Two years. 
And so if that's where it stopped, I would have been happy with it. I would have been happy with the results. I wouldn't have complained. I would have been very content just replacing my income. But the bottom line is it was so much work. I wanted to you know, see if it could go somewhere else, right? So I just kept doing what I was doing, but better, faster, and more effectively. Again, just kind of applying the same system that I discovered uh, from seeing these patterns emerge, right? So I implemented it. I kept doing it. And eventually, replacing my income turned into doubling my income. And then that turned into a little bit more and a little bit more. But not just that, it afforded me the freedom to dictate my day and also choose the projects I want to work on, on the schedule and on the timeline I want, and to work with the people I want to work with. And to me, that's like a whole new level of freedom, especially coming from the military. It's something I've never really had that level of complete autonomy until I became my own boss. I started my own business. And until ultimately, until it became profitable enough for me to start to take a step back and actually reap the rewards of it, because it's not all just working, working, working. And I do believe it's hard work. And I'll always say that nothing about doing this stuff is easy. But at the same time, you've got to reap the rewards at some point and take some of that profit, uh, even if you're just reinvesting it into new assets and things like that. Bottom line is, it can't just be work, right? Entrepreneurship and business is about that result that occurs, the value you've created and the profit, that, that piece of value that you've captured, okay? And you want to be able to reap the rewards of that profit, of that value, that little sliver of value that you get to capture, that you get to net, right? You want to be able to take advantage of that. Otherwise, you know, the entrepreneurship game really does become just a grind. And, and for, I think, a lot of entrepreneurs, unfortunately, it becomes meaningless, and that's when they quit. Well, for me, I love this stuff. I really, truly do. I mean, it is my thing. And so that's why I didn't just stop where I was at. I've stayed committed to learning everything I can about all aspects of this online business world and this online marketing world. And I do this through real world application. In other words, I'm currently growing several online businesses and I'm always putting my ideas to the test in real time with my own money, with my own time and energy, oftentimes with employees, you know, a lot of some, some stuff more advanced, some stuff more simple, but you know, so varying levels of complexity and again, in different spaces, different niches. And I can say, you know, bottom line, I've always loved the startup hustle, but I got to say, it's nice to now be in a position where I can get big results with much less effort, thanks to having built the foundation of my business the right way. And again, I did it all through trial and error, but I don't think that that's the way that everyone needs to do it. And in fact, looking back on it, if I had to redo it, I don't know if I would. It was so difficult to just go it alone and try to figure everything out by myself. So one of the things I've tried to do is give back with this podcast, with my blog, and with my newsletter. But maybe even more rewarding than any of this stuff, while I've enjoyed all of it, I think the thing that I'm enjoying the most, that I find most engaging and rewarding, is the premium business mastermind and coaching program I run called 100K Academy. Inside 100K Academy, I help ambitious entrepreneurs who are very driven and excited to be doing what they're doing. I help them grow their reach, their influence, and their profit using my proprietary marketing system. That's the same one I use to scale my own online businesses from zero to multiple six figures and beyond. And the same system I use to help my clients reach the New York Times, Wall Street Journal bestseller list, set Kickstarter funding records, and create viral product launches that have turned into predictable revenue streams. So lots and lots of case studies that you can find at tommorcus.com. If you're curious, just go to tommorcus.com slash about, and that'll get you started. Most importantly, this system is one that 100K Academy members and alumni have used to achieve tremendous results, like Alexa, who used it to have her most profitable year ever, or Tina, who used it to make five figures from a sales funnel that she can now replicate and scale, and that's exactly what she's doing, or Carrie, who made over $75,000 
in just seven days. And the crazy part about his story was that his online business was actually a side hustle up until that first profitable launch, which he has then been able to grow and scale. And he subsequently quit his job following that very successful week. And I think that that has been just a game changer for Carrie and the life he's living and the work he gets to do and the impact he gets to make on the world because of the great work he's doing now, because he was able to figure out a system that would get him the targeted traffic, the subscribers, the sales to grow a profitable online business. Bottom line, if you want to grow your online business from six to seven figures, but you flatlined or you're struggling, or you just want to be told what to do and when to do it and in what order, right? And you want a system that is predictable and scalable and isn't just you know another shiny penny, but actually will fit right into your business. It plugs in and is something that you can truly grow. I want you to go to tommorcus.com slash academy. That's tommorcus.com slash academy. Academy is spelled A-C-A-D-E-M-Y. Go to tommorcus.com slash academy, and you'll find a page on my website with more details about 100K Academy, the business mastermind coaching program I run, as well as instructions on what to do next. Again, that's tommorcus.com slash academy. And if you're serious about growing your reach, influence, or profit, just follow the instructions and we'll be in touch, okay? Again, tommorcus.com slash academy. Go ahead and head over there now. That's it for today. Stay frosty.